Thank you, Marla. Good morning, family. Well, today we are going to take on a really dangerous topic. We're going to take on fashion and what the well-dressed Christian should wear. The elders asked me to take on this topic because I'm not an elder. They can't fire me. <laughs> so that's all right. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together and uh, not only worship you, but to hear from you. And so, Father, as we look at your word today, uh, just speak to each of our hearts. Um, draw us close to you. Give us a desire to serve you in, in every way possible. Help us to fall more and more in love with you, the God and our Savior that has given us eternal life through, his, through your Son. Thank you for these things. Bless our time, we pray, and we give you thanks for it in his name. Amen. I'm uh, looking for a way to introduce this topic where we want to go today, and I thought of this, um, what the well-dressed Christian should wear. And if you take a moment and look around you, um, <clears throat> you will see what the well-dressed Christian is wearing around here, right? Some people, everybody's going, where is he going with this exactly? This is going to make sense in a, in a moment or two. But I thought what I'd do is uh, take a look back in time at what some people were wearing. This is New York City in 1889, uh, computerly colorized, you know, for our pleasure. But look at the way people are attired, if you can see it. Hopefully you can. It's um, very utilitarian, isn't it? You know, these are working people in the streets of New York. If you look at the ladies, they've got aprons on and long dresses, and that, that full dress look is still part of the attire. The men have hats, they have ties. You know, there's, even though they're working people, there's a formal appearance to the way they look. And if you look at there's sort of a uniformity there. The women are all basically kind of dressed alike. The men and the boys, they're all kind of dressed alike, vest or in. Notice the gentleman in the uh, upper right up there on the balcony. <clears throat> He's surveying the chaos below him there. Moving fast forward 70 years in the 1950s, this is New York City. Uh, when I was a boy, I didn't grow up in New York City, obviously, but I, I chose New York City because it's just sort of a melting pot of America. And again, if you look at, and many of us grew up in the 50s, um, there's still a uniformity there, isn't there? There's still, the women are dressed uh, nicely, and the men are in suits and ties, um, but there's a, a, un a uniformity of dress in that as well. It's changed, but there's, it's still there. And that was very much the case when my mom went shopping in our little small town where I grew up, she got dressed up, like these women are dressed up. And if you rode the train or you rode the bus or something like that, you got dressed up and you put on good attire <clears throat> and dressed appropriately. Well, let's fast forward another 70 years to today, New York City again, and you'll notice that there's not necessary uniformity there. And there's more um, an individual expression of how I desire to look rather than as what culturally is the norm way to look. So something changed 
you know, down through time. And I would submit to you a lot of that change happened when, uh, during the Vietnam War, the 1960s and the early 70s. If you want to see a really ugly period of time, look at how my generation dressed in the 1970s, you know, <laughs> with the bell bottom and the hip huggers and the big wide collars on guys. I mean, that was really, really a bad time for fashion. <laughs> um, <clears throat> And then we certainly now live in a time of self-expression. You know, this is Grand Central Park in New York City. And if uh, you really want to express yourself, you know, there's a style you can try. We, I haven't seen by at Oak Grove quite look like that yet, but um, could happen, could happen. Anyway, all that to say is that we live now in a time of self-expression. And it reminds me of something out of Judges here, that in those days, and in these days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that can be reflected because of a loss of a cultural morality, for lack of a better term. You know, when I, well, back up to my dad, um, my dad was born in 05, so he went to school in the teens, and he actually learned to read using the Bible in public schools. Of course, that was taken out. And then when I was in grade school, prayer was taken out uh, of the school systems. And uh, we lost, during that transition, we lost a cultural morality. And so when you lose that, there is no king. There is no, no one you look to. And so now everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And that's pervasive in our society across all aspects of our society. Not, but it's reflected in the way we attire ourselves. Show you another picture here. <clears throat> um, the cowboy culture and the biker cultures don't always get along. And both are reflected in the way those two gentlemen look. When Joy and I were dating, we went to a rodeo with another couple down in Oakdale. And I don't know, sometime through that performance, there was this loud rumble outside, and the Hell's Angels showed up. Now, <clears throat> if you've been to a rodeo, a public rodeo, there's always a beer booth. You know, that just kind of goes with it. And so when you mix a hot day with alcohol, things get a little wild. And then you mix that with the Hell's Angels showing up, and it turned into a brawl. And it was probably the biggest brawl Joy and I have ever witnessed. And uh, the other fellow, Paul, and I said to Joy and Colleen, uh, we need to leave, and we need to leave now. And the girls are sitting there going, this is kind of interesting. We, no, 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 we need to leave now because we're kind of dressed like cowboys. And we don't want to be a part of this. And we, we got out of there. And it was, as Joy looked around, she saw one beer bottle cracked over the head of, another, of, a, of, a, of a guy. And it was, it was a... Not a good scene. Um, we are fractured as a society with a lot of, lot of many cultures, subcultures within our culture. And this slide here is reflective of, of that. Um, the differences often lead to uh, great arguments, great dissension, and sometimes, unfortunately, violence. Well, <clears throat> It brings me to this. How should we clothe ourselves as believers? How should we exhibit 
ourselves out in this world. Mark Twain said, clothes make the man. There was never a naked man that ever affected society. And in some regards, that's really true. You know, when somebody sees us and looks at us, what is radiated from us exhibits who we really are. And so it's important to ask, and Paul addresses this, it's important to ask the question, what are we exhibiting to the world as believers? What are they seeing as they look at us? Well, it goes back to what Paul shared with us back in um, chapter 2, 13 and 14. Because it always starts with what is our motivation? Okay, what drives us to attire ourselves or con the way we speak or the way we conduct our manners? And it goes back to the fundamental principle of Christianity. When we were dead in our transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. And he canceled out the certificate of debts, considering the decrees against us, and which is hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Simply put, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting him as your Savior, your sin is done. You know, He loved us enough to take the penalty for each one of us, for me, for my sin, for you, your sin, by going to the cross. Does that motivate us? Does it really motivate us to live for him? He goes on to say that the motivation should be lead to an action Therefore, if you have received Christ as Lord, so walk in him. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we've received him, walk in a manner in him. So what does it mean for us to walk in him. Well, <clears throat> I would submit there's only two ways that we walk. We either walk exhibiting ourselves or we walk in a manner that exhibits him. So this is where Paul goes in the verse that Marla, verses that Marla read for us. He wants us to understand that if we're going to walk exhibiting ourselves, this is what's going to show up, okay? And we may not realize it, but this is what will show up. It'll show up in immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and ab abusive speech. And if you think about what we're seeing around in our world right now, <clears throat> with a lack of a king, without a moral structure, if you will, in our society, these are the things that manifest themselves over and over and over again. Immorality, no morals, anything goes. Well, if it feels good, do it. You only live once, have it your way. You know, the whole emphasis in our society right now is have it your way. Whether it's the way you dress, the way you eat, the way you conduct your life, most people think of freedom is freedom from any kind of restraint. I can do whatever I want, anytime I want, to whomever I want. 
impurity, impure thoughts. And you look around the internet, you don't have to look very far. You just turn it on, there's advertisements that reflect this kind of thing. Joy and I were coming down this morning, Erwin Lutzer at Movie Bible Church was talking about if you have a computer, you have in your hand Satan's tool that can lead you to all kinds of impure areas at the click of a button. It's a dangerous tool. What about passion? Passion. Think about that. Passion. I just, I am so passionate about this. You know, it shows up in a multiplicity of ways. It shows up in the way we respect one another or do not respect one another. The way we have passionate statements that are inflammatory. The way we have marches that are exhibiting a passion toward impurity and immorality in, in the gay pride marches and things like this. It's everywhere around us and it's coupled with evil desires. The desire to do things that are not proper, that are just downright wicked. And there are people in the world that live for this kind of thing, to do wickedness and evil to other people. <clears throat> it shows up in the greed concept that if it's out there and I want it, I'm going to strive to get it because it is, after all, all about me. If we don't get our way, we see it showing up in anger and wrath toward other people or toward society or toward animals or toward members of families. You know, Satan loves to destroy families and he will use all kinds of things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech to destroy a family and to tear people down. <clears throat> so we ask ourselves, are these the things that clothe us as believers? Are these things that we have practiced or are continuing to practice? And the only thing we can do, you know, we look good on a Sunday morning and we're putting on our very best behavior, <clears throat> but how are we in our home? And how are we to our spouses and our children and our other family members? How are we treating them? You know, do these things show up in our lives? <clears throat> so Paul, as he looks at this, these set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. I'm in verse 3. And when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body dead to these things. <clears throat> dead to these things. to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For in the count of these things, the wrath of God will come, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now also put away and put aside anger and wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another and lay aside the old self and its evil practices. So as believers, you know, when we get up, when I got up this morning, I attired myself in my shirt, my vest, and my pants. I chose what I was going to put on. What Paul is saying to us is some things you don't want to put on. You're going to have the opportunity. They may be hanging in your closet, but you don't want to put them on. And this is the list of what not to put on. Okay, right here. 
and you will be faced with the opportunity on a daily basis to put these on. Satan will encourage you because of the situation you may find yourself to put these on. But the Lord doesn't want you to put these on. So then we move. Walk in a manner that exhibits our Savior. What are the things that we should put on that exhibit the Lord Jesus Christ? Put on the new self who is being renewed in the true knowledge. And now look what he says here. According to the image of the one who created him. The desire of our Savior is that when people see our lives, that they would see him. Because remember, he says we are ambassadors for Christ. He's chosen us to share with the world the good news of the Savior. Thank you, Churchill. And that's what he's called us to do. But it's up to us to put on that according to the image of the one who created him. So Paul follows this up in saying this, what does it look like to put on the image of Christ? Having put on the new self in verse 10, who is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between the Greek and the Jew, the circumcised, the uncircumcised, the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave, the free man, but Christ in all. One of the very first things that Paul says is that there should be no prejudice toward any person at all, regardless of their skin color, their nationality, where they're from, but Christ in all. Okay. What you'll find as we look through this list is there's a movement away from being self-absorbed to being absorbed by the need to care for others. And the first, because our Savior cares for us. And after all, he left the glories of heaven to come to earth to be sacrificed on that cross. So what he's saying to us is the first thing, get rid of any of the prejudices. Now, I got to admit, uh, in, in 1997, Joy and I ran a wagon business, some of you remember, up in the town of McLeod during their centennial. And we had a team of horses and a beautiful hitch wagon, and we were giving historical tours around the town. And it was lots of fun, and our kids were little, and they learned a lot about working with the public and working with people and all that kind of stuff. And most everybody paid the nominal fee, jumped on the wagon, and would take off. Not the Chinese. The Chinese think it's the biggest thrill in the world to have their picture taken with that team of horses. So we'd load everybody up and we'd start down the street and the Chinese tours would run right in front of us, turn around and stop with their back to us so somebody could take their picture of us coming and we'd have to rein in the horses. And then they'd get out of the way, you know, and then we'd go a little farther and they'd do it again. And they'd do it again, you know. And I found myself a little irritated at those people that were always, we never had a single person from China ever ride the wagon. But we are famous in China for all the pictures that were taken. Well, you know, things like that tend to irritate us, don't they? You know, and you kind of go, oh, you know, I don't want to deal with these people anymore. You got to get over that. 
you know, well, why did it irritate me? Well, because they were spoiling my parade. That's why it irritated me. It was all about me, right? And my wagon, my team, my making money, and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, so we got to lay that aside. It moves us to compassion for people, you know? How do you, how do you feel when you see the homeless? Now, some homeless choose to be homeless. Others are homeless by circumstance. And I was talking to, several years ago, a director at a rescue mission. He said something that really took me back. He said, you know, Steve, a lot of people that are here, especially the women, they are here because of a divorce and they're left without an income and they had a mortgage on the house and they're trying to raise two or three children and the husband is left, they fall, default on the mortgage, they're homeless and they don't have any family anywhere to go. There are circumstances like that that we just don't know anything about. We see people in different circumstances we don't know anything about and we're, we can be very quick to make a judgment that they shouldn't be that way. But the Lord says to have compassion for those that are less fortunate than ourselves. Compassion toward one another. And that goes along with being kind, being kind. There is up at Oak Run stop sign up on the hill up there, there's a bulletin board that somebody puts really neat sayings all the time up there. <clears throat> and the one that's up there right now says this, in a world when you can have everything, choose to be kind. It's a, just a great little reminder for everybody that goes to that stop sign that being kind is a choice. And oftentimes what it, comes down to is laying aside our desires and what we want to accomplish right at that particular moment to be kind and patient with somebody else. <clears throat> Goes along with gentleness, I mentioned patience. Bearing with one another, you know, coming alongside one another, lifting one another up, supporting one another. I remember right before my hip surgery, I just couldn't hardly move, and the shepherds came up, and I had all kinds of leaves down. Some of you men were there. And um, they just got all my leaves in. They got my wood in. They weed-eated a bunch of stuff. They were bearing Joy and I up during a very difficult time. We've done that through this church many, many times for many, many people, both within our fellowship and outside. And that's the image of Christ, bearing one another up. Forgiving one another, that is not an easy one. You know, sometimes forgiving has to be coupled with living wisely. Because there are those people in this world that desire to hurt you and to hurt any of us. And God's called us to forgive how many times? 70 times seven, over and over and over, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to associate with them. So the balance between forgiving and living wisely is a delicate balance that you need to really be in prayer about. Perhaps in your life right now, there is somebody that is being unkind to you. The Lord is sharing with us, forgive, forgive, and forgive again. And they'll keep being mean and unkind and he keeps saying, forgive, just as I have forgiven you. 
We are debtors too, are we not? Because of the sin that he's forgiven in our lives. <clears throat> and he wants us to pass that along. It's the mark of being a Christian. It's a mark, it's his mark to be able to forgive those that have wronged us. And of course, loving one another, looking out for the needs of one another, caring for one another, coming alongside one another, being there for one another, walking with them during tough days, all these things involved in love. Not the mushy, sentimental kind of thing, but the being there with a person that's struggling. Johnny Erickson Todd, I've shared with you in the past when we were back at the SING conference, said something that was just so good as she is celebrating her 50th year in that wheelchair. And she said, you know, you, when people are suffering, you don't need to go to them with all the spiritual things, you know, consider it all joy. Uh, you know, things that consider all joy, this is, this is hell what I'm going through. So don't go there and do that. Just go. Just be there. Just put an arm around. Just walk with them. Weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Love one another. Well, <clears throat> to the image of the one who created him, I find it's a shift in priority and focus as we look at what Paul is saying to us, as we attire ourselves as Christ would have us attire ourselves. It's a shift to loving others more than we love ourselves. And that's not possible unless you know the Savior, Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit indwells us. Because by nature, we are selfish. If, if all we think about is doing our own thing, then we need to ask ourselves the question, am I really a child of God? But if I find myself in a situation where I simply desire to minister to other people, that's probably not of you. That's probably of the Savior that wants to use you to accomplish his purposes. You remember the cowboy in the other slide? When one of those kind of guys gets to know the Savior, <clears throat> the priorities change. The man doesn't change. The things he loves doesn't change, but he loves the Savior more. And his desire is that he would be able to share that Savior with those he loves and those he relates to. The guy that works in the outback country, he's gonna reach people that many of us can't reach. Okay. He's a missionary out there. His calling takes him to his mission field in the outback country. And it's the same with the biker. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ gets a hold of a biker and changes his life, he doesn't give up his love for his Harley, but he has a love more for people that enjoy Harleys and the other bikes that are out there. And now his desire is that they would know the Savior. He's put on a new garment. He's put on the image of Christ. He has become an ambassador 
to his world. And that's what he has called each one of us to be, is an ambassador to our world. Wherever our world takes us, whatever your world is, you are an ambassador in that world for the Savior, just as this man in the picture is an ambassador in his world. It is the style of a Christian, I would sum up by saying this, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever we say, whatever we do, however we conduct our lives, they should see Jesus Christ. That's how we attire ourselves. I had a, a young man who went to a church service and the band, <clears throat> Phil, you're gonna appreciate this, the band uh, was playing up there and they're all barefoot. It really bothered him that they were all barefoot. And he asked me about that. Is how, how can you worship God being barefooted? I said, well, think about this. If, if, if you're trying to share the gospel with a bunch of surfers down on the beach, you're probably going to be bare, better off and relate better if you're barefoot. But if you're trying to share in a high church in the south, you probably want to put on a tie and a coat. See? Because it's not about so much me doing my thing. It's about how can I present Jesus Christ in a language that my audience understands? How can I do it in such a way that I do not cause offense by my appearance and my manner and my speech, but rather that through my manner, my appearance and my speech, the words of the gospel can go forth and we can be effective ambassadors. That's where it gets back to what is the motivation. Is our motivation to do our own thing? Is our motivation to be the Savior's ambassadors? And Paul is sharing with us that, hey, he's bought us with a price. He desires to use us. And probably the greatest joy in all the world is when you share the gospel with somebody and they respond and you know from that moment on they will spend eternity with the Savior and escape hell. How does it get any better than that? But I want to close with a warning. I want to close with a warning. <clears throat> the warning is this. If you dress appropriately to the way Paul is described, reflecting him, God then was going to lead you over some rough ground where it will do some good. Because it's in the rough ground where people are need to hear the gospel. It's during the tough times, the really tough times, we reflect the appearance of the Savior the best. Okay? Because anybody can get good on a Sunday morning. But when you're out there in the pit of life and everything's falling apart, what do you reflect then? It's during those times, family, Know in your heart that God is using you, okay? He's, he's placed you in that tough time that you may be going through right now. And you may not be seeing how he's using you because he's weaving that tapestry in ways that we cannot see until we're with him in glory. It's during those tough times that he's using us to declare 
the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So during the tough times when you feel like despairing, remember these words. He's using you. He really is. Right at this moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of encouragement from Paul. We thank you also that you are a God that loves us so intimately, knows us so deeply, cares for us beyond our wildest dreams. <clears throat> that as challenges with this, that all things do work together for good, for those that are called according to your purpose. And we are called to your purpose. So may we in our hearts, in our times of difficulty, may we understand that truth, that somehow you are using us to accomplish your will for this world. And may we be effective ambassadors for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together in our Savior's name. Amen.